0: Good evening everybody. Looks like we're assembling here. <clears throat> Welcome to this edition of Mic Drop. I'm getting started a little bit early. <clears throat> I want to wish everybody a great Thanksgiving because we're probably not going to talk before that unless something goes terribly wrong, terribly amiss. Um. What a topic today, a little bit, a, a little less political, a little bit less directly political, a little bit less analysis than we've been talking about, but one that I think is going to have some pretty significant impacts um, on democracy, and that's why I wanted to talk about it. Um, let me get uh, some housekeeping done first, if I could. This is Mike drop on the callin app. Um, You can download these podcasts anywhere you get your favorite podcasts, whether it's on Apple or Spotify, or you can simply join the Colin app. If you do subscribe, if you haven't subscribed yet, I'm guessing most of the people who've already joined are subscribers because we alert you. and I think you guys are able to jump on pretty quick, Uh, get the usual uh, crew together, which always makes for great conversation. Miss you guys. Appreciate you guys hoping you're going to have a great Thanksgiving. As always, kind of the usual stuff. If you can share this on social media, let people know we're having the conversation. It'd be wildly appreciated. We've grown a pretty big community here. We're starting to hit audiences that are towards the higher end of our range. And it's all because of you guys promoting the discussion, uh, being involved with the discussion and sharing it with people uh, as we uh, continue to kind of figure out what it is that we're trying to accomplish here. Heading into the 2024 presidential Election cycle 2024, guys. And we're going to be doing a lot of, um, um, I don't want to say remedial, but more tutorial stuff. You guys, a lot of you guys have asked for the basics of campaigns, strategy in terms of timing. Uh, We're going to go through some of the nuts and bolts stuff as we go along through the 2024 cycle. I think a lot of this stuff you'll probably be able to pick up um, as we go because it's obviously going to be an election cycle unlike any other. I think we, we keep having those. Um, but we'll do the best to kind of have, um, people talking about what, um, the campaigns are doing. And I'm saying campaigns, plural. This is clearly not going to be just Joe Biden and Donald Trump squaring off. My guess is it will probably become a larger field before it gets smaller. And we'll talk about those dynamics, but one thing I can be uh, certain of is they're going to change extraordinarily over the next 18 months. So. Buckle in, guys. It's going to be a little bit crazy. Um, Just kind of the the political environment that we're in right now. And then finally, of course, uh, the queue is open. Sorry I had it locked earlier last week. It's open now. Go ahead and jump on in. And um, we'll get lined up for any questions that you have to ask. Um, But I'm going to start with the topic of the day, which is Twitter versus democracy and whether or not Twitter is helping promote the idea of democracy or whether it's actually restricting and fighting it. I want to talk about the question that a lot of people are asking themselves about whether or not to stay or whether to go. And then I wanna talk about where to go and what the point and purpose of that would be. I think many of you know where I'm at. I'll talk about that in just a little bit. But for now, for the moment, um, I wanna hear some of your thoughts, kind of on where you're going. I know, um, um, some of the sites out there are clunky. There seems to be this desperate uh, and disparate uh, path to where people are, are finding their lifeboats. I don't. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Actually, I think it's a really good thing. But again, we'll talk to, about that in just a second. So, look, who could have guessed it, right? Just a couple of weeks ago, Elon Musk, the wealthiest man in the world, buys. Twitter for an astronomical price of $44 billion, obviously way, way, way overpriced. You don't need to be a mathematician to understand that none of this pencils out. It doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense. Of greatest concern, of course, is where he found some of that financing. I thought it was peculiar that, of course, he leveraged most of his assets in Tesla to come up with the cash for his piece. Uh, Tesla stock, by the way, is is, I think down 42% since the announcement of the Twitter deal. So hemorrhaging, just absolutely hemorrhaging value. Um, Elon Musk is the Elon Musk empire. And of course, the Saudis come in with a couple billion dollars. Not a huge position, but big enough to cause a lot of concern as to why they are there and what their interest might be. So let's talk a little bit about, um, about what this all means, as it seems to be um, chaos uh, that has kind of overcome uh, the Twitterverse. Um, and there's a lot of speculation as to whether or not this is organized chaos on the part of of musk is he trying to blow up the public square is he trying to have um us lose the ability to communicate uh is he trying to destroy mass infrastructure um as a lot of people on twitter have prognosticated uh, i'm gonna give you my impressions uh the short answer is uh, i i don't think i don't think that he is um trying to destroy Twitter from within as an attempt to kind of ruin or wreck democracy. I do think there's a tendency with politicians and corporate leaders and wealthy people and celebrities to overestimate one, their abilities, and two, overestimate what it is that they're actually trying to accomplish. I think that Elon Musk got himself into a bad spot by legally uh, committing to pay $44 billion for Twitter and simply couldn't back out without paying the price. And he probably thought, How difficult can this actually be? And I think he's finding out just how difficult it actually is. Now, having said that, I'm not convinced that Twitter is just going to go away. I don't think it's just going to, we're all going to wake up and it's just going to be gone. We're not going to be able to access our accounts, although you should be taking precautions if that were the case. I do believe, however, there will be a movement away from the platform, and I think that Twitter's best days are actually probably behind it. I think the Twitter that we knew during the Trump era, the pre-January 6th, 2021 era, is going to return with a vengeance. I don't know that Donald Trump will necessarily be a part of that, but I wouldn't be surprised if he were. I think that relevance really matters to him, and I think that um, he's going to probably weigh in at some point uh, uh, in time. Um, I'm not too sure how consequential that will be. I am more interested in watching the flight from it because love it or hate it, and I was quoted in a Politico article article, um, when the deal went through basically saying we may yell at each other, we may castigate each other, we may troll each other, we may denigrate each other on Twitter, but it does remain kind of the last of the public squares or public forums where this type of activity is engaged where right and left are engaged on the same platform. I think that is going to change. We could talk about and we should talk about whether or not that is a good development or a bad development, but it's a development. I believe it's the next step in the atomization or the devolution of the media system uh, in the world, right? We used to have three broadcast channels where the old timers like me uh, that are here, in, in Mike Job will remember, there were three broadcast channels in the United States. ABC, CBS, NBC, and we all watched one variation of the same news. We all watched uh, Cronkite or Dan Rather or whoever it was that you were watching, um, some white guy saying the exact same news with some small variation at the end. And the whole country watched that and we agreed not necessarily on the bias, not necessarily on the perspective of the issues of the day, but we all agreed that that was the news of the day. Those are the issues that we are thinking about and talking about and focusing on as a country. Ted Turner, of course, comes in, changes all that with cable news. Suddenly there's hundreds of options and the fragmentation of our media and the polarization and the segmentation of our society begins in earnest. That, of course, hits hyperdrive with the development and advent of the internet and um, the, the further explosion of that. And what we are seeing now is the further atomization of some of these larger platforms on that already atomized structure. So I just think it's a continual a continual devolution. One of the fascinating things that I think about and, and talk a lot with my friend, you know, Ron Steslow specifically on politicology and others, is is there too much democracy in democracy at this moment? What do I mean by that? Sorry, I gotta sneeze. What I mean by that is the entire idea of the United States of America, uh, and we know this through the Federalist Papers, we know this through the debate that the Founders had at, uh, at Independence Hall in Philadelphia in the late 1700s, sorry, uh, was that the Founders were fearful of democracy. Remember, this, uh, this American experiment, this American idea was largely untested. I mean, there were some examples of the ancient Greeks who did this in in a very modified form. The Romans, of course, had a Senate, um, which was largely wealthy landowners and stakeholders in the political system that would use a democratic, with a small d democratic process to kind of come to some sort of policy decisions. Even that devolved into tyranny, of course. This was a much grander experiment, much grander idea, this idea of self-governance. And it was of such concern That they wrote under, you know, the name Publius, the Federalist Papers. And the Federalist Papers were, how do you prevent mob rule? How do you prevent passions? How do you, how do you prevent factions in a democracy from overtaking and overrunning this system? And they built this really elegant, eloquent system of checks and balances, these three branches of government. And they created a republic, which is they, we would elect as, as citizens, we would decide who would decide for us. And the idea here is that we would, through this process, kind of an early Wiki model, is we would, we would choose people of virtue, people of expertise, people of substance, people of, of education, and those that were informed to kind of make better decisions on behalf of the Republic. But even then they built another system, uh, another check into that. Right? This, that was the House of Representatives. The idea was we needed a Senate where chosen at the time by state legislators, legislatures, uh, they were not senators. Were not directly elected at the founding, as you probably all know. They were chosen by state legislatures as another filter to protect from mob passions and the uh, zeitgeist of any given political moment. To protect the House from doing what it might do, the Senate was there to balance out the legislative branch to protect, to protect the republic, to protect the country from this overreaching passions of people who could be swayed too easily in one direction or the other, right? So all of this is put into place. The the challenge now is this hierarchical system and the way information flowed during the industrial age has changed. It's been flipped completely on its head. We live in a technological era and a time when not only does information move faster than any institution alone, news organization, uh, governmental entity, Um, Any area of expertise, as we learned during the pandemic, physicians couldn't get their message out any faster than people who just have larger networks, average people, the social media influencers uh, of our time, of our day, were able to move information right or wrong, often wrong, at a pace faster than our governmental system could prevent from sweeping over these mob factions, these passionate interests. And I think that really encapsulates a big part of the problem today is what's happening at this moment in time because of technological advancements, advancements, advancements. What we're finding is that the protections and the filters that the founders put in place may not be working so well. And if you've heard me talk about this issue on politicology with with uh, Ron Steslow, I talk pretty regularly about the fact that I am not convinced, I personally am not convinced that democracy, or at least democracy as we have known it in the American style, the American form of democracy, this republic, I don't know that it's well constituted for the digital age. It doesn't seem to be passing a lot of the tests that are required to to, to have these filters work. We could talk about the pandemic, we can talk about the rise of performative politics, especially on the American right. We could talk about the radicalization of a wide swath of Americans, again most pronounced on the political right, where we, you can you can foment insurrection with um, um, enough of a right wing eco media system to override some of the protections that were designed to prevent some of the broad social movements that are destructive to the country from happening. Doesn't seem to be happening right now. And Twitter was a part of that. It was a huge part of that. Let's remember, you know, Twitter's responsible in large part for the Arab Spring that toppled a lot of fascist governments. And we believed at that time, some of these old old Twitter folks will remember, the Arab Spring was going to usher in a new type of demos, a new type of democracy, a new type of people-centered movement. The, the challenge is that was just the, the first step in what ultimately became a tsunami of information that was not controlled by altruistic, virtuous actors. And by virtuous, I mean virtuous towards the Republic. And so Twitter becomes this public square for good and for bad. And we have seen a lot of good and we have seen a lot of bad. The challenge, and and, and I'm reminded as I say this too, this public square was never public, right? Twitter was never a public utility. And that perhaps might be part of the regulation that's required. I don't know how you do that internationally because this social media platform is not restricted to the United States. But without regulation and through private ownership, I'm not too sure it really meets the exact criteria of the public square. Now, Elon Musk talks about this being a public square. I think it's the most publicly engaged platform where people are having these discussions and this dialogue, but I really don't think that meets the criteria of being public per se. It's certainly not publicly owned, it's privately owned, and it's owned in large part by investment banks, Elon Musk, and the Saudis. which not too sure those are the best um, muses for bringing forth virtuous public discussion and or debate, or even setting the right parameters on what appropriate, productive, healthful, and health, healthful discussion would be for the Republic or for a democracy. And so now you see Elon Musk kind of take over, bringing clearly an agenda despite saying that he's not, suggesting that he's going to be promoting free speech when in fact he's using his own arbitrary methods of determining who should and should not be on the platform. And we have to ask ourselves is, is that, is that a one, a true public square? And two, most importantly, is this actually part of the social interaction and the public discussion that is required of a healthy democracy or, or is it becoming a vehicle to fuel what the founders considered to be mob rule? Right. The very, the very, the very debate, the very crux of the debate before they brought forth onto this world, a very dangerous American experiment. We don't hear that word used often when we talk about the founding of America, but it it was dangerous. The founders knew that there was danger in this. Again, this had never been tried in human history. It's why we call it the American experiment. And, and it's still an experiment, still very young. It's 250 years of people actually governing themselves. It requires a lot of civic virtue. It requires things like the, the the peaceful transfer of power, which really rests on people just doing the right thing. There's no enforcement mechanism, as we found, no true enforcement mechanism for that, right? There There is no constitution strong enough that can prevent the will of the people that wants to overthrow it if that will is a majority. Like that's, that's the whole crux of the American experiment is you have to have people committed to the idea. If they're not committed to the idea, the whole thing just falls apart and can fall apart quite quickly. And we're not too far away from that, okay? And I don't mean to to scare folks, but I I, I will say this isn't new language you've heard from me. And actually, I feel a little bit better about it after these midterms, because it does mean that there are a lot more people that are committed to actually seeing this through, and frankly, are more committed to the process, the American process, to the American system, even if they don't agree with it, right? These these Republicans who were moving to Democrats, both in 2020 and 2022, Okay? I know the, the partisans out there, the partisan Democrats, want to say it was young people, it was it was everybody, it was you know Democrats coming together. That, that's not what the math says. The math says there were a lot more Republicans. I think almost four million more Republicans voted than Democrats. That might tighten up a little bit with California, but but not too much more. Okay, there will be millions of more Republicans than vote that voted than Democrats, and Democrats won. I don't need to get into deep analysis to explain to you. That's basic math. That Republicans and independents were voting for Democrats. It's not because they like Joe Biden. It's not because they like inflation. It's not because they like the direction of the country. It's not because they have confidence in where we're heading. It's because they believe in the American idea and are saying, you know what, I will vote as a vote of confidence in the system, even though I disagree with the policies and the people in power. And that—that that is a very healthy statement about American democracy. It is, I think, the most profound statement for democracy that I have seen in a long time, and it's why I feel a lot better about where we're heading. heading. I'm off topic here, as I sometimes do, uh, as I sometimes get uh, here on on mic drop. What, what What I want to get us back to is this idea, though, this idea about the way we are choosing to communicate with one another. Take it or leave it, like it or don't like it, Twitter was the most public square that we had. It was where right and left met. We were horrible to each other. We talked really bad about each other. We used anonymous accounts and flamed each other. We did horrible, disastrous things to each other. There were obviously a lot of accounts that were doing productive things too. I don't want to suggest that we weren't, but what I think it was described as a hell site or is described as a hell site, I mean, it's pretty accurate. It's not really good for us as people to be engaged in the public square that way, largely because of the anonymity but also because of the undue secret influence that was allowed. And that I think is going to go on hyperdrive. We are seeing just in the time that Musk has taken over a significant increase in hate speech, significant increase in the use of racist uh, and anti-Semitic language. A lot of those reports are coming out. Obviously has brought back, um, I think the, uh, a, a political leader that tried to overthrow our government in the person of Donald Trump. And that, again, leads us to this next perplexing question, which is what happens at this point in time to the public square, as it were. I believe there's gonna be, again, this further fragmentation. And I think that people are, I know people are already leaving the platform, by the way. And it seems to be heading in three or four different directions. I know you're all gonna jump into the chat and kind of remind me of what I have and have not talked about. It seems to be, at least at this moment in time, there are two primary. There's the you know tribal socials doing some stuff, and and there's a you know, handful of others. But the two primary places where people are fleeing to are Mastodon, which I'm going to talk about in just a second. That's kind of where I've parked myself for the moment, and um, Post Social, which is kind of coming online. And there, I think it's it's in beta right now. There are people actively using the platforms right now. I've talked to people over the past 48 hours that are using it. And we'll talk a little bit about that um, as well. But I wanna talk about Mastodon because Mastodon is seeing explosive growth right now. And it it has some hardwired features that protect the community, that protect the discussion. And the reason why I'm intrigued by Mastodon I don't know if it's going to work or not. I don't know how long I'm going to be there or not. But for the moment, that's where I'm having some really fantastic conversations with a lot of you and a lot of others. The community is growing um, by about three or 4,000 followers an hour, I think. And let me look really quick at some, of the, at some of the statistics on it just to give you guys the best numbers. Um, there's about 7.5 million Mastodon users worldwide. They've added almost 5,000 in the last hour. There's 60,000 new people coming a day. Uh, 625,000 people joined Mastodon just last week. So they've had, out of their whole existence, there's 7 million, 7.3 million, almost 10%, about 8% of all of their users came within the last week. So they are just being completely flooded by by this uh, migration over there. And of course, it's changing the culture of Mastodon. But let me talk a little bit about. Mastodon, because again, structurally, I think it's probably prescriptive on some of the things that we are going to need to do as a human species, as people, and as Americans, two different things, to hardwire protections into what we call democracy. And and uh, try to bring me back to this. I'm, 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 I'm like I'm running three or four different threads right here because it really is, I think, a fascinating moment in, in human history. But let me let me say this: we talk a lot about protecting democracy. But in my mind, as Americans, what we're really far more concerned about is our constitutional protections. Yes, there is a democratic way of getting to there. You hear the right wings say a lot, we're not a democracy, we're a republic. Yes, we are a republic, but we get there through democratic means, small d. But even as, as a democratic republic, what we are really most concerned about, in my estimation, is that particularly that first 10, amendments, that Bill of Rights, again, right, going right back to the founding and realizing that this was the centrality of human existence. We need to protect certain inalienable rights uh, for, as minorities, not, not numerical minorities, but um, you know, as philosophical minorities. We need to protect people from government. That's what the Bill of, of Rights was. And Mastodon seems to be hardwiring this in. How did they do it? They created a federation. You, when you join Mastodon, this was, everyone gets all clunky and it's like, I don't know how to use this and how do I pick a server? I, I get that. That's part of the problem. It's also frankly, the best defense against what has happened to Twitter. Let me explain that a little bit. If you imagine each server kind of like the original colonies, the original States that has its own governing authority with its own rules. You can join any one of those that you want. You also have the rights to move later on, and you can also interact with other people on other servers, but each server has a philosophy, a mission, and polices itself, okay? And the idea here is if you diffuse power and you don't give it to an Elon Musk to decide what is speech, what isn't speech, who should be on the platform and who isn't on the platform, you've created essentially a federation of servers, which is a, a, a federation of states, a United States have created a federal government of overseeing it, but it was really the interaction of states. And that became a diffusion of power too, right? We wanted a weaker federal government. That's what Mastodon has. It doesn't have an overarching authority. Nobody can come in and buy Mastodon and say, this is the way it's going to be. It's an incredibly decentralized power structure. And what I'm, what I'm saying, what I'm fascinated by is somebody who's watching people struggling in the digital age to either preserve more democracy or slide into authoritarianism. You all know how engaged I've been with, with, with fighting the Donald Trumps and, and, and working in Ukraine and going to Brazil against Bolsonaro. I'm very concerned about the concentration of power in the digital age because it's information and organization are so easily influenced and so easily manipulated at this time in human history that it is a threat to democracy. It's not just a bunch of crazy right wingers, it's what allows that crazy right wing to communicate to itself globally and organize and radicalize and turn, as we found just 48 hours ago, to violence, right? To call people to violence. And that's the danger. The danger is the free flow of information. There's no filter. The filters that the founders set up have been turned on its head, and that's why I believe that there's this existential threat to American democracy, is the Federalist Papers never envisioned this. They never envisioned an internet. I mean, how could they have, right? And so as a result, the, the ability of mob faction, the ability of, of mob passions, literally written by, in the Federalist Papers, all, all 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 envisioned this happening in some way, shape, or form, sweeping over in a tidal wave and knocking over our American form of government. That was the fear of democracy. That's what's happening. That's what's happening. And so there's this idea out there. These are two competing ideas. One says, well, let's add more democracy. Let's add more democracy into the mix. And part of adding more democracy into the mix that has always been our recipe for success uh, as Americans, by the way, we've got 26 amendments, We've changed our Constitution 26 times. Two of those amendments canceled themselves out with prohibition. So let's just say there's like 24 changes. 90% of those 90% of those amendments gave more democracy. It enfranchised more people. We freed slaves. We allowed people to vote. We gave women uh, suffrage. We allowed 18 year olds. We lowered the voting age from 21 to 18. They were either protecting us from the government even more, or they were further expanding the idea of America. They were expanding the idea of democracy as a protection measure and as an improvement as we sought this arc of history, this, this, this more perfect union, as Lincoln would call it. Right, That was the idea, is we could slowly, gradually enfranchise more and more people and bre- broaden the idea, the concept of democracy. That's being again tested. That all worked perfectly in the industrial age. It worked great in the agricultural age. It, it worked great as, as human society was moving from the agricultural uh, revolution into the industrial revolution in the late 17, 1800s. It works remarkably well last century. But now that we're hitting kind of this digital information age, it's really being put to the test. And there's a real question as to whether or not this survives. And again, I don't wanna wanna scare people because I've never uh, predicted that it's going to end, but I do believe it's gonna end as we know it. And the only way to protect our rights, those inalienable God-given rights, the founders did it by using government and the balance and checks of government to to compete against themselves and enshrine in the Constitution these rights and say "These, these are the core tenets Regardless of who you are, regardless of your religious background, regardless of your, of, of your past. And of course, we all know the story it was really just for, for white men, landowners, granted. But, but the idea was to, to add more and more people to that idea and, and, and enshrine those protections further into, into, um, what the idea of America was. We, we can't rely on government to do that anymore is what I'm saying for a whole lot of reasons, probably another episode of Mic Drop, but the main one, the main one is this idea that democracy is becoming less and less stable. It's becoming less and less reliable. And there are fewer and fewer people committed to the different versions versions of democracy that they don't agree with. We talked a lot about this during the election cycle which was 67% of Americans believe that democracy was under threat. The irony was it was 67% of Democrats said that and 67% of Republicans said the same thing, both with very different visions of what democracy is and what democracy meant. And that's the struggle is we're not even, even when the few times when we agree with each other and they're very few, we're not even saying the same thing. And how does a democracy work? When it requires people to willingly lose, and by definition, to not get everything that you want. In this technological age, we we kind of demand everything that we want, and we if we don't get it, then we kinda, you know, have a fit about it, right? Like we are being acculturated to believing we can get whatever it is that we want. Democracies don't work that way. They require us literally. The the price of playing in a democracy, the price of being a resident, a citizen in a democracy is acknowledging that you don't get all of what you want. You're lucky to get most of what you want from your perspective of the world in most instances. But we're at this time where if I don't get all of what I want, then the other person's an enemy. They're a threat to the republic. They need to be run out. They're crazies. They're extremists. They're radicals. That's both sides saying that. We can pick which side we want to agree with and believe in, but they're both saying that. We have to at least acknowledge that. And so again, Mastodon, sorry, long wind up. Mastodon has basically built the idea that if they add more democracies, but split it up, it can balance that power out and check that power more. And what happens then is you get local regulation and local communities that starts to do more policing in and of themselves based off of the server that you're on with the commitment and ideas and beliefs and ideals of that server. That's all that you're doing when you pick a server, okay? And this diffusion of power makes it impossible for some of these larger players to come on and just sweep over uh, the entire platform. Because the truth of the matter is, and this is a good segue to the next point, the larger accounts on Twitter run Twitter. And you'll notice none of them are leaving Twitter, okay? A lot of these people, especially, you know, and, and I'm going to you know be be critical right here. The large resistor accounts, the large democratic activist accounts, are not leaving Twitter. They're not going to leave Twitter because they have spent many, many years, and many, many months, and many, many hours living on this damn platform, building up a base of support. And a lot of them make money off of it, or they have status based off of it, or this is their platform. They're not going to just walk away from that. They're not. I tweeted out the other day, if you ever want to think about how, if you ever wondered how it was that Republicans refused to walk away from the Republican party knowing it was toxic, knowing it was dangerous, knowing that there was an evil component to it, you've got your answer now because the left will do it too. They will stay on that platform even and be complicit and enable bad behavior and enable destruction even though it's backed by bad money with bad causes for bad reasons. Why? Because they have stature there. They have standing there, and they make money there. And they're not going to give it up as much as the Republicans wouldn't, and they allowed the rise of something really bad, something really evil, and something really toxic in the Republican Party. Look at all these accounts, all of these resistor accounts. None of them are leaving. They are all enabling it. Those are the ones that are driving the traffic. They are driving the eyeballs. That means they are driving the revenue model for Elon Musk to continue to give this thing oxygen. This thing is, again, promoting racism. It's advocating and blowing up anti-Semitism. It is bringing back Donald Trump. That is what is happening. OK, so don't you can't look. The, the, Donald Trump and Trumpism is it's a social phenomenon. And to think that it's, it's particular to one Republican party or one political party dramatically, dramatically misses the point. You're missing what's happening to society if you think that that threat is one person or one party. It's a transformation of society that is enabling this and it is undermining our ability to operate the way that we have as Americans for the past 250 years. That's what's happening. That's what I'm saying is occurring. That's what's going on. We are at this moment where the digital age is becoming fully ensconced. The industrial age is in the rearview mirror. People my age, you know what? I, I mean, I grew up and we were looking and saying, well, wow, the, inter- the internet's here, right? Like I got my first email account when I was in college. And it's like, well, what does this mean? What's gonna happen? And we were envisioning what that would be. Too many of us, too many of us who are in power, not that I'm in power, but people of my age are in power, are still thinking that the digital age is going to come it's here it's been here the industrial age is behind us we haven't caught up to that and our governmental systems have not caught up to that and our political systems certainly have not caught up to that but it has already wreaked havoc on the journalism industry the news industry the music industry most almost virtually every sector of the economy has already gone through this transformation The beauty of this democracy that we built was that it was stable, that it was slow. It was bureaucratic. It was methodical by design. It was designed to not be driven by the passions of the moment. There I am again, the the mob rule could not topple it. It was designed to be slow. That was the beauty of the system. The bureaucracy protected the government from the people and by government, I mean the operations of the government. And if you don't see that, and the connection to a January 6th overthrowing, that I I don't know what to tell you. Like that, the moment is here. And so we need to start working not to necessarily reform the system, although that's important, but long-term, the system does not work. And I don't believe it's going to work. As we continue down this road, we have to find ways to literally hardwire these protections into the way we live. And I'm not saying this is a perfect solution, What I'm saying is Mastodon has found an elegant solution where I I, look, I'm not saying Mastodon is going to save us. What I'm saying is it's the first platform I've seen that is diffusing power and preventing the consolidation of the public squares and mass communications under the umbrella of one really rich person or one nefarious government that's going to tell us what they want us to, to know. Right. It prevents all of that. I don't know i don't know if if twitch and discord work like that they might but that i hope they do like i said i'm not i'm not afraid of the atomization of of these platforms one is they're natural they're going to happen anyway the second is the more we diffuse power the argument is right add democracy to democracy if we further diffuse the power then, then that is, I think that's very much in line with, with, with the American idea of, of democracy, the American idea of government, the American idea of protecting ourselves from the consolidation of too much power, because too much power in any situation is bad. But, but the diffusion of that power, that becomes a, a structure that I want to listen to. Now, conversely, the other direction, is this idea of, you know, Twitter and this fear somehow that people have of of Twitter becoming more like truth social, or it's going to become a right wing, whatever it is. So, So what? So what? And I love this, I'm going to stay and fight shit that you hear from the resistor accounts, people who've spent, you know, built up tens of thousands of followers, hundreds of thousands of followers. Let's just stay and fight. Stay and fight what? You're tweeting. I mean, stop it. You're not that, you're not that important right? You're not, you're just not. And so I I do believe that our tribes are going to find each other. We will find ourselves. That's just the way human beings work. And when they seek community, they will find it. Um, I'm not going to say that Twitter doesn't have a disproportionate amount of power at this point in time. I think it does. I will say, I think it has less power than it had a week ago. And I think it has less power than it had a month ago. And I think that that's going to continue to slide. I don't think Twitter is going to go away but I think it's gonna continue to decline in importance. And I think you're gonna see the rise of the Mastodons, the rise of the Mastodons. And I also think that post-social is is something very promising and here's why. I think post-social is doing a really, again, elegant rollout. Post-social looks like Twitter. It acts like Twitter, it's just not Twitter. What it is, is it's trying to replicate a similar platform and they are using blue checks to move over there to get them committed to the platform in beta. You know, what they're doing is they're they're saying they're focus grouping, they're saying they're testing it. The reality is what they're doing is they're giving the blue checks the ability to go in and build a presence and build a network to maintain their status on the post platform so that other people that aren't as influential will continue to follow the people that they follow over onto post. I don't think that's a bad strategy. I don't. I think it's actually a very good strategy. We'll see if the rollout works or not. It's the best way that I have seen to peel off, you know, so some of the resistance Twitter folks, uh, to move over and maintain their quote unquote status because that's important to them. That, that is what Post is doing. And I, like I said, I'm not, I'm not judging it. I don't think it's a bad thing. I just think that it's a, it's, it's, it's a marketing rollout. But, and it's also, like I said, as long as the blue chicks, the blue chip, big accounts stay on Twitter, Twitter will, will survive. And and the people who are propping Twitter up right now, let me say this, let me say this very methodically, the people that are propping Twitter up right now aren't necessarily the people that are advocating for its existence, but they are the ones that are profiting from a corrupt, bad, arguably evil system. And if that sounds like the Republican Party, then you, are, you I'm making my point that this is a social phenomenon. It's not particular to the Republican Party or the American right. You are seeing democrats and progressives and leftist activists doing the exact same damn thing that republicans were doing in 2016 when donald trump started accumulating power there's no difference there's no difference. they're so bought into the system that even though they know it's wrong they're not going to leave their title they're not going to leave their position i'm not going to leave my 500,000 followers i'm not going to leave the money i get off of this or the recognition or the accolades i get off of this that's what we called enabling in the Republican Party, okay? Now, what does that for a guy like me who lit the party on fire and went after the party? I, I can see it as clear as day. It's the same damn thing, and I'm not saying I'm I'm more altruistic or I'm more principled than the next person. But what I'm saying is, it's freaking obvious, guys. Come on, it's obvious. Anybody who's saying stay and fight, stay and fight, you're not staying to fight shit. You're cheerleading to keep your following group up so that it makes you feel better or you can make more money or whatever the hell it is that you're doing. But don't, you're not fight, You're not winning anything by staying on Twitter. The only way, I, you know, this is my, my Gen X self really loved this. I was tweeting, uh, tweeting, and I'm still on Twitter tweeting. And I'm going to explain why in just a moment. But I was saying the only way you win is through not playing the game, right? The old War Games adage is the only winning move is not to play. That's it, if if, if if we're all fighting about staying or going or fighting anti-Semitism or fighting the racists or being pro-Joe Biden or Gen Z or blah, 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 you, as long as you're having that fight on Twitter, you are feeding the beast, you're feeding the alligator, you're, you're, you're giving oxygen, you're giving the clicks, you're giving the views, you're giving the activity to the sponsors to justify Throwing money at it, and, and money's gonna go where money is. They're agnostic. We can hear about corporate values all we want, but if you look at some of these discussions about where the sponsors are going, the reason they're pulling money off of Twitter is because it's a threat to them and they're not getting the traction that they want and what and that they need. I will guarantee you this. If it was bad for their brands, but they were getting more activity, if it was bad for the country, but they were generating more revenue, would they stay on Twitter? Yes, that's what the media did to Donald Trump in 2016. They'll burn democracy down as long as they increase their quarterly profits. That's their job, that's what they do. They're in the clicks business. Whatever gets them the clicks is what they're gonna do. That's what Musk is trying to create. And it's why he's on there with the braggadocio and the bravado trying to be as controversial as possible. He's being Donald Trump, part of it's narcissism, but hell, the digital age, the digital economy is literally built on narcissism. It's everybody wants to be a celebrity because if you look at me, somehow I can monetize that. I can monetize being me. I can monetize my clicks. That's what the wealthiest man in the world is doing. That's what the most powerful man in the world when he was president, Donald Trump was doing. That's what society is in the digital age. It's not about providing economic value. The idea is as long as people are looking at me, that's the value. That's what I'm gonna monetize. That's how I'm going to make a living. that That's what life in the digital age is. And so these networks are incredibly valuable. No one's gonna leave Twitter because it's the right thing to do. So you hear me saying this on Twitter because I am on Mastodon and I'm on Twitter and I haven't started cross posting yet trying to move gradually over to Mastodon because one, it's healthier two, it's structurally better. And three, it, it does take away from Twitter even marginally at this moment in time. And I think that that's important. I do think a lot of people are as a hedge, a lot of these blue checks, bigger accounts are moving over to Mastodon or post or wherever else to create a hedge in case Twitter does collapse or creates the decline does come, or if this bleeding continues at this similar pace, they wanna make sure that their their, um, bets are hedged, right? It's a hedge, that's what it is. So, we, let me get to some questions, because I think I'm, I'm not too sure this is the area or the topic where, where we started out, but that's usually what this show is, is, is about, is you get to kind of hear me riffle on a bunch of stuff. Peg's asking, what, why don't resistance Twitter people build their networks on other platforms? Well, that's, that's exactly it. It seems to me that building on another platform would add more people to the blue check mark, because this is the followers they have now. Right. That's why I'm still on Twitter, by the way, Peg. That's exactly what I'm suggesting, is what we need to do is start showing and demonstrating that there is a growing community, that there is activity on other platforms because they will gradually and slowly move over there. But if I've got a million plus followers, like letting go of that is kind of like walking away from your celebrity and your fame. Who does that? I mean, some people do it, but they're very few and far between, right? That's That's why they've spent, you know, 15 hours a day for the last 15 years, building up this kind of a following is to get to this point. Now they're like, wait a second. I'm going to just let this go because it's the right thing to do. Bullshit. I'll just tweet about what the right thing to do is, right? Retweet if you agree. Joe Biden is the greatest president in the history of the world, right? Like, that's what it is. It's it's this, It's this. is trying to build this following. It's trying to build this base. You're trying to position yourself as this brand. That's why. That's why. Uh, look, I ain't trying to win anything. I just don't want to lose some of those relationships that don't exist on Twitter. Fine. and here's to my point the last sentence it's why I'm still on Facebook but never on it but never on it those are your relationships. i got these relationships on Facebook but I really never use them what is that what is that what does that tell you right what does that mean I mean you gotta you gotta kind of examine that a little bit right here and, and and I think the final point and then again I guys i got we gotta take some questions here because I'm running a little bit late and I've only gotten up. I've got to tighten this up too. I've got to end this thing at six at 630. I apologize for that, but we're going to cut this one a little bit short this Thanksgiving episode. Um, The idea of who actually owns your data and owns your tweets. And I was talking to somebody going back and forth with somebody on Twitter last yesterday saying about the virtue of them staying and fighting and calling out Elon Musk and fighting with these folks. And I was like, guys, Really, I mean, you—you you really think that that's what's happening? You—you you really think that that's what's what's going on here? Um, I'm not saying that Elon Musk is going to cancel your voice. I'm saying Elon Musk owns your voice as long as you're using it on his platform. Your direct messages, all of your tweets, all of the interaction, all of the analytics that have monetized you on that platform, which is why it's there is all of your activity, all of your interactions, all of your screen time, all of that, all of that history, all of those data points are owned by pretty nefarious actors. And you've got to ask yourself if that's worth the price of being engaged in a way that's probably not terribly as uh, influential as you think it is. And I, I'm saying that as somebody who was involved, very involved in the presidential campaign, is there was a moment in time where that mattered. And I'm not saying it doesn't matter now. I'm saying there's better places to use our voices. And I think it would behoove you um keep your Twitter account for the moment. I'm not saying you have to not and you have to go cold turkey, but if you're not looking at other options, I think you're making a mistake. And I, I don't I think you are hurting um this movement away from authoritarianism. Let me say that again, because I mean that. I think that if you are if, if you are spending all of your time that you give to social media, to a platform like Twitter, that you know is owned by bad actors, with bad intent, doing bad things, when you know that, when you consciously know that, and you're rationalizing it by however you're rationalizing it, once you subscribe to that idea and that belief set, you're enabling it. that's, That's how Donald Trump became the leader of the Republican Party and the President of the United States. It happened nickel by nickel, dime by dime, inch by inch. That's how it happens, is you slowly start to rationalize something that you know is fundamentally wrong. You know it's wrong. We know it's wrong. Okay? And I'm not here to, to, to castigate or to judge. I'm here to observe. I saw it live in the Republican Party. I watched people that I knew for 30 years make these calculations. They were standing with me early on in 2015 and 2016 saying, this is horrible, this is dangerous. And then suddenly it was like, but all my friends are there. But all my network is there. But I've got a title there. I've got a lobbying firm. I've got a media firm. I've got polling contracts. I've got campaign consulting contracts. I'm a policy advisor. That's how it happens. That's how it happens. It happens nickel by nickel, dime by dime, inch by inch. And that's what's happening. So, like, look, I I don't expect, I'm not Pollyannish enough to expect people not to, to go where there is community. But what I am saying is, Let's, let's just be honest about what, what it is. If you're, if we're going to be complicit in it, just, just be honest about it. Right. Because it's important as this discussion unfolds, Twitter is not the end all be all. It's not the, 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 the the final, you know, media platform we're all going to be using in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Like our grandkids are not going to be on Twitter. Okay. There are going to be other platforms and where we go as individuals. Where we go as citizens of this republic, where we commit to ourselves, where that matches our values, where it matches our commitments to this society, to this American experiment, and most importantly, this is very important to me, to each other. Where where that commitment is to each other and each other's betterment, that empathy that has been missing for so long that social media has ripped out of our souls that's that that's where we belong that just by being on a server that does that and communicating and building relationships and friendships and networks there you can do that right can't you do that shouldn't we be doing that i don't know just questions and that look that's a good way to end there's no questions long soliloquy from mike madrid i think that's hopefully i think a good way to end and say um you know, happy Thanksgiving, (laughs) like let's be, let's be, let's, let's gratitude. Right. I love, I love the Thanksgiving holiday for a whole lot of reasons, but it's such a uniquely American holiday. And it's, it's, it is something that our country at a time Lincoln, right. Announced the first, you know, declared the first Thanksgiving holiday after the war as a way of, 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 demonstrating gratitude as a people of saying, here's what we're grateful for. Here's what we're giving thanks to use that as an opportunity to kind of say, how can we be better people here? How can, and I'm not saying that we're bad people. I think that everybody involved in this effort and, and following these, these fights and following these discussions are, 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 are really virtuous people. But where we, in this digital age, where we spend our time, where we invest our resources, where we make a difference in this way, that's how democracy, that's how constitutional rights, that's how the American experiment continues. So with that, have a truly wonderful Thanksgiving. I appreciate everything you guys have done for this show. I'm looking forward to a discussion the week after Thanksgiving next week. We'll go regularly scheduled on Wednesday, 530 times. We pushed it back a half an hour because it allowed people coming off of work, I think, on the West Coast to get more engaged. If that works for you, let me know. If it doesn't, let me know. can always switch it back. Thank you so much for being a part of this. And um Happy Thanksgiving.